1: Hello and welcome to a new episode, episode 6 I believe of Uta Beer Podcast. My name is Raj Baines, I am your host and I'm joined by the lovely Rory Benson.
0: Hello, how's it going?
1: Yeah, not too bad, yourself?
0: Yeah, not too bad, not too bad.
1: Before we get going Rory, um, earlier this week we got our package into the office, massive case of beer, um, we've got a beer offer already, 6 episodes in, was it? two three weeks we've been doing this people are already sending us stuff to give away um, essentially everyone knows how popular craft beer is these days beer52.com is who have sent us this across and they specialise in beers from abroad so all the ones we got were from Norway Norwegian beers they're, they're really exciting um, I think we tweeted out a picture before now just Probably. purely. yeah we've <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've, uh, we've not cracked them open yet we're professional um, but essentially if you join their beer club you can get expert selected a case of different types of beer delivered to your house every month so offers for this podcast um it's a bit of a steal really a case of eight mystery beers for free all you have to pay for is postage i think which don't don't sound too bad um hand selected small batch brews difficult to find anywhere else if you use the code HUDDERSFIELD on beer 52com you can get stuck in as soon as. You'll become a member of the beer 52 club and there's no commitment, so you can cancel any time. Essentially, you can take your free one, sack it off sort of a thing. Um, but, you know, judging by how they look, then you probably want to keep on yeah. with it. Um if you tell them as well, you tell beer 52 what type of beer you like and their experts will make sure you're not really disappointed by what you get. So I'm quite a lager man. I quite like them if they're hoppier or uh, lighter. I'm not a fan of ales or anything too dark, really.
0: I'm an ale man, me.
1: Yeah, so we're opposites. So if me me and Rory couldn't go halves on one because we'd end up disagreeing on what we were going to buy. But um, as long as you know your own taste, then they'll cater to it. You get a snack as well. So I think we got, what's it, chili flakes? Nets, yeah, yeah, chili nuts, that's the one. And a magazine that tells you all about the beers as well. Um, but yeah, free beer essentially. Beer52.com, code is Huddersfield. Crack on, free beer. Nobody's going to complain about that. This is start of the podcast. Today we we're at the press conference, so if we get back to proper football and not just beer. Um, how did you find the conference? A lot of attention, massive array of cameras. Yeah. Everyone was there. I think Henry Winter was even there. So yeah. massive uh, interest in town already.
0: Oh yeah, it was it was incredible compared to to last season when you know there was three people there. So <laughs> you, know, you, you had the examiner, you had uh, Radio Leeds and Yorkshire Post, and that was it. Um, now there was probably more more TV cameras than there were people there last year. So.
1: It's quite ridiculous as well because they have to c- close all the windows and put the shutters down yeah, so they yeah. get all the cameras oh, and lights. An and everything. Absolute
0: greenhouse in there as well, but no, it was it was it was good. It was sort of bustling and. Because the Canal side's getting a bit of work done to it as well. All the players were in there eating eating sort of lunch around yeah. us beforehand. Christopher well. Schindler walked
1: past with what I think was rice and salmon off the top of my head, but he was nice enough to say hello, give us a smile as he walked yeah. past. There's yeah. not a finer smile in the Premier League, the man, I don't think.
0: I think the man was born with hair like that, because it just doesn't <laughs> change, does it, every week. But yeah. No, yeah, it was it was really, really good. Nice to see the players. Nice to see David Wagner in good spirits as well. Uh, and then Tommy Smith as well came afterwards. Uh, came out afterwards and... Good to see him not on the crutches and and available for the weekend as well. A
1: few headline things we've learnt during the press conference. So it wasn't just us going to look at Christopher Schindler, although that's well worth a trip down to Canal Side <laughs> yeah. if you can afford
0: the time with these beers as well. Yeah.
1: Like um, first things first, Naki Wells screw out of his foot by the sound of it. Um, yeah. Club know sort of they were happy that they were managed to tie down what exactly the issue was, and he sounds like he'll be out for a little while. With Andre Gray leaving Burnley and them supposedly interested in him, do you reckon that'll probably put them off? Because they'll want somebody who'll be able to take over and step into their first team straight away, won't they?
0: Yeah, well, I think it was a it was an, an ankle injury which he had about ten years ago. He had surgery on it and they put a, a screw in there, and that apparently that had been aggravated, so so they needed sort of minor surgery to get that out. What's interesting is that on on Twitter some. Uh, some Bradford fans are saying that that was the injury that was used as the excuse for him not to play before he left for Huddersfield Town. So it'll be interesting to see what happens after that. I think I think people are realizing that Naki's probably coming to the end of his Town career. I think if he stays for six months to a year, he's not going to sign another contract anyway. So he will will leave next year. Whether he leaves this summer is sort of you know still want to to look out for but I think he's out for three to six weeks David that's Vargas what they said, said yeah. Yeah, and it's three weeks until the transfer window closes so that kind of puts him that puts him out of action until the transfer window and you don't know whether that's because they want to sell him and to make sure that he doesn't get an injury so he can get as much money as possible or whether it is an injury obviously he has had surgery you can't really lie about that but you know it'll, it'll be interesting to see these next three weeks what happens and to be honest the closer it gets to deadline day, the more expensive it gets. So for town, maybe putting it off for a week and a half, two weeks, is a good thing.
1: Personally, I, I'm not as into the injury conspiracy theories as people on Twitter mm. <laughs> appear to be, but I can see him going in January because I don't think clubs will be interested in signing a player who's just come off minor surgery, even if you know we're playing down how serious that is. You don't know if there's going to be complications, you don't know if there's knock-on effects or anything. I'm sure they probably want to see him with a few miles under his belt on the field before they put a bid in, especially if the £10 million that's been quoted is, you know, real. Um, nobody wants to sort of part with that amount of cash without having seen a test drive first. January then, possibly?
0: Possibly. Um, I'm still of the belief that he'll leave in, in the summer. I think he's... Good enough for a top level championship and someone like a Burnley might take a punt on him in the Premier League. I don't think you'll get 10 mil for him now. I don't think we would have got 10, 10 mil for him halfway through the season either. I think, you know, going into the last year of his contract, I think. £6 million pounds is probably what you're looking at for Naki He you
1: know? seems quite reluctant to go back down to the Championship though which is understanding. He, he played the lion's share of matches to get down into the Premier League. It wasn't his finest season ever. He was a bit of a square peg in a round hole in that system, in that team. But he probably deserves his chance at the highest level if somebody's willing to give it him.
0: Yeah, I th- absolutely. I think... You know what he's done for town has been incredible, and I think he has he's earned it. He's come through the leagues and he's earned a shot at the Premier League. But the problem is, you need someone who's going to give you that shot. Whether Burnley is going to be that team or not, you know who knows it. And you know Reading, the other team linked, they came so close last year, obviously losing to Town in the playoff final. So maybe it's a case of going back down there, earning promotion with Reading, and then seeing when you're at, where you're at again. Because in a way. Nowadays, players hold all the cards in terms of transfers, but if you, if a team doesn't want you, you can't force your way in there.
1: There is a danger of falling into that sort of David Nugent-type territory where you're the player that gets teams promoted and mm. then they sell you as soon as they come up because they don't think you're good enough. But given that he's not really been given a crack in the Premier League yet, it would be unfair to suggest that that would be his, you know, his future because I don't think many people would have thought that Andre Greer would have scored as many goals no. or been worth £20 million after a season in the Premier League but here we are. Next thing, finally an end it seems to our ongoing right-back chat which I'm obviously <laughs> ecstatic by. If we're going to crack over the, crack over the <laughs> yeah, the news, it's going to be over this. David Wagner confirmed that Dimitri Kavara is not going to be joining Huddersfield. It's what we suggested, it's what we thought of came to, in our own conclusion, having seen him play and, you know, given he's had a knock and all that, and the fact that although he may have a high upside in the future, right now it is a bigger risk than Andy Iadam, who is due for a medical at field anytime soon.
0: Yeah, that's what the reports are saying. Um, obviously, I think we'll find out later this week. He won't be available for Crystal Palace, I don't think. Um,
1: Tommy Smith is, though. So that's Tommy enough. Smith
0: is, yeah, so, so it's not sort of the end of the world. Hopefully he gets through that. Um unscathed for the ninety minutes, uh but Tommy yeah, Smith
1: though, when I spoke to him, encouraged um yeah him coming because he says he wants competition, he want- he thinks that having somebody there will push him on and make his performances better so if the captain's inviting a new right back then it's not a bad situation to be in.
0: Yeah I'd I'd also say right back is the only position where there isn't any sort of competition at the minute because everywhere else you've got two, three players who can play that position so no I think it's only going to be a good thing for Tommy Smith, Um, he looks like a like a decent player you know for Barnsley last year they started really really well and he was sort of central to that Um, he's also, it's worth pointing out that he's sort of a bit of a utility man because he can play right back but he can play left back as well and he's played elsewhere for Barnsley so I think it's a a good signing for Huddersfield Town and it's not going to break the bank So, especially with him suggesting that he wants to leave and he's not going to sign a new contract so hopefully uh, Town can get the deal done pretty quickly and he'll be available for selection next week
1: Sounds as if it's going to be somewhere in the region of that two million pound that was quoted him. It'd probably be one point five rising, or you know, something similarly structured. Yeah,
0: yeah definitely, and I, I imagine Town will have a sell-on clause on that as well as they as they like to do. So, you know, hopefully, maybe in in a few years' time, they'll they'll be sort of making money off him.
1: Next bit of good news because it was a. A conference that was sort of filled with good news rather than mm. anything else. They did touch on the injuries and that was a bad thing. But Jonathan Hogg, who was said to be out for a month, is going to be back on the field late next and late next yeah. week. He said with the physios, so back on the pitch is a good thing.
0: It's Jonathan Hogg, isn't it? The man, <laughs> the man is a machine. Like we thought he'd broken his neck or something last year, and you know, next week he's going down bloody you know, Wembley. Like, yeah, going down to Wembley. So he's just he's just a, a unit isn't he And he's one of those players that i get we we talk a lot about the terrier identity probably because david wagner does but he just sums it up and he is he's a man that will never give up like he could be like you know the uh have you seen monty python with the uh the the Black Knight. Yeah. <laughs> Tis but a scratch. That's that's Jonathan Hogg for me. He's... It's a
1: reference for the kids, that one. Isn't yeah. It? <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't
0: be able to sell them 23, would you? No,
1: um, but yeah, I, I completely agree. He's fantastic and it's good to see he's coming back already because even though we've spoken about Danny Williams' ability to fill in for him... That you want that competition, you want them both to be pushing each other in training and you want David Wagner to have a 50-50 choice of who he's putting in there and he sounded a little bit gutted when he mentioned that Jonathan Hogg was injured, the fact that he wasn't able to you know, fight for his jumper from day one and go out to Palace because he's the sort of player that leads by example and wants to be the main figure and he's been named vice-captain as well, hasn't he? So it's Hoggy and Schindler behind Smithler.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely, and that that shows how much he means to David Wagner. You know, I think he does he does the work which kind of goes unnoticed. Last season, it was getting noticed a bit more, but in the Premier League, he's going to be the player that's going to gel everything together. You know, Aaron Moy might sort of snatch the headlines with with beautiful passes through to Steve Mooney as well. who might steal them, but Jonathan Hogg's going to be the the guy there, snapping at people's heels and and stopping. You know. Probably the most influential midfielders in the world from playing their game, so he's going to be crucial to town. And and to be honest, I think him coming back early is going to drive Danny Williams on even more, because you know he's got to earn that shirt now. He's got to earn that shirt. He might have two three weeks to to stake his claim for it, but he knows he's got to be at the top of his game if he's going to keep it off Jonathan Og when he comes back from injury.
1: Was there anything else sort of headline wise from the press conference we should get out of the way?
0: Not really, it was just sort of building up to, to Crystal Palace and what David Wagner thought of it. Um, he said
1: that we're essentially going to do exactly as we did last season, none of the criticism or being written off is a bad thing, he said he didn't care really, didn't yeah. he, in his many words. Um, they're going to play the same way, approach games the same way, much of the same, and given the success of last season, you can't really argue with that.
0: No, it, it's it's one of those things you have to do, I think. David Wagner has been sort of given this role by by Dean Hoyle. Dean Hoyle said, You can, you know, you're going to be here at the end of the season no matter what. And I think, you know, David Wagner's sticking to what he knows, and who can argue with that? He is one of, I would say personally, one of the best managers in the UK at the minute. I don't think you'd find, at least in the Premier League, you wouldn't put him 20th out of all those managers. So, not by country mile. No, exactly. So, I think you know, it, it's one of those things where you just sort of put your hands up and say, right, David, do what you do best and, and take us wherever you can in this division.
1: We're going to take a short break from us two now. I spoke to Robert Warlow from the Croydon Advertiser about how Crystal Palace have been faring over the summer, what he makes of Huddersfield and the game ahead. Robert Warlow of the Croydon Advertiser, welcome to Who To Be Podcast. How are you? Yeah, fine. Thanks. Not too bad. Excellent. Um, obviously, a couple of days away from first game of the Premier League season, something you're a bit more used to than we are in Huddersfield. How's your summer been at Palace? How's the new manager settling in? How's the new players? Yeah, I mean, it's
2: obviously been a, a summer of change. Um, I think perhaps unexpected change for many Palace fans sort of at the end of last season. Obviously, having Sam Allardyce kept them up and. People were sort of thinking, right, OK, a bit of stability now needed. And hopefully, that. I think they were thinking that Sam and Les would provide it. But obviously, just a couple of days after the end of the season, he uh, announced his resignation, which came as a surprise to a lot of people in football, I think. But after that, I mean, obviously it was about a month on. It was quite a long search for the new manager. And then uh, finally, they got Frank De Boer in. And, um, yeah, since then, I think people were people have been happy with the appointment. I think it's a it's a change from the norm because Palace haven't really gone down the foreign manager route in the past. Um, he's only the second behind, uh, after Antonio Lombardo, so he was the caretaker, you know, quite a few years ago now. So yeah, it's, a, it's you know I think people are happy. The pre-season has gone all right. They've they've obviously been out to Hong Kong, Premier League Asia Trophy, and um, yeah, obviously results aren't everything in pre-season, but. You know, they beat West Brom in the Hong Kong Trophy. Um, they've, they've had draws with Metz and Schalke in, in the last two games. So I think people were happy. They're obviously changing the formation with uh, De Boer. A few new signings. Um, Ruben Loftus-Cheek has come in from, from Chelsea on loan. Uh, Jairo Riederval, who uh, has worked with Prince Paul Ajax, um, well known to him. He's come in and uh, I think he'd be a good signing 20-year-old defender. And uh, today they signed Timothy uh, Foster-Mentz from uh, Man United on loan. So, yeah, I think people are, are relatively happy going into the start of the season and, you know, sort of waiting to get, you know, can't wait to
1: get going now. Is there some optimism then with the new manager coming in? Because obviously there would have been the surprises you touch on when Allardyce decided to step away from the game. Is it been turned around? Is, does that sort of, does it feel as if the fans are back on board with what the club are doing now after that period of uncertainty?
2: Yeah, I, I don't think the fans have sort of you know, turned against the club or anything like that. You know, I mean, it, it was obviously Samir's own decision. He you know, made it for his own reasons, and I think people understood that, and you know, that was fine. I think a few people, you know, there were a few murmurs on, this, particularly on Twitter, you know, people were. On social media, people were sort of saying about how long it took to, to get Frank de Boer in, but at the end of the day, I mean, there were no games being played at that time, so, you know, perhaps weren't really missing out on too much, I suppose you could argue that, you know, there perhaps signings potentially that you know, over the summer period they, they perhaps would be delayed on, but I don't think it was ever, a, you know, a, that pressing an issue. They had to get someone in two or three days after Adelaide had gone. Like I said, it came as a surprise even to the club, I think, so... Yeah, that's, you know, the the fans going into the season now, I think they've. It's hard to judge, really, because a lot of them would like, I think, if the Palace. Well, certainly they don't want them down the bottom, you know, battling its relegation again. I think the consensus, really, is that the squad as it is should be strong enough, really, to push for the top half. And I think it's it's fair to say that if it gets everyone fit, you know, the key players, the likes of Christian Benteke, Tucker, with with Zaha, Johan Kabai. You know, going forward, they've got no problem with their score goals, no problem at all. But defensively last year, that's where they, you know, they, they found, found it hard, I suppose. People, you know, particularly the first half of the season, they you know, they were very open in the way they played and they can see a lot of goals with a lot of high-scoring games. I mean, I think back to the one 5 4 which, you know, was a crazy game for them. Yeah. But, you know that that was the sort of game pass we were involved in. They had a few that were three all, three two, four two. You know, and it was either last minute heartache or, you know, they they were ahead and then got pegged back at the end. It was it, it was a funny sort of it was very insane to watch. But as a, as a fan, you know, you could understand well, how they were getting very upset and disappointed that seeing you know keep losing just by the odd goal. And obviously, I mean, Alan Pardew left and. Around December, 8, around Christmas time, Sam And came in. It took a while to, you know, sort things out, I suppose, and, and get them get the get the results sort of turning, but he did that. They obviously survived in the end. But I think Palace fans want a little bit more than that now. You know, this is their fifth season in the Premier League. They they're kind of an established club now at the Premier League level and they want to see them, you know, be a bit a bit more comfortable really, not, not battling every season down at the bottom. And like I like to say I think with the players they've got, they should be capable of doing that.
1: There are some Murmurs about possible exit, Andros Townsend's been linked with a move away, Wilford Zaha is almost permanently linked to Tottenham, and there are one or two others who there's been some interest in. Have you heard anything about any possible exits before the season starts?
2: I I think it'd be unlikely now before Saturday, certainly, but I think there's always... Speculation around players in the summer isn't there, and you know, as long as the windows open, there always will be. Unfortunately, it's it's one of those things. And you look at the level Palace are at; there, you know, if they've got star players, they're going to be looked at by top clubs. You know, I mean, Wilfried Zaha, you mentioned him. He's you know been a standout player for Palace the past two seasons, and there's no doubt about that. He's won, won the Player of the Year award both seasons last year. I mean, single-handedly, sometimes he was sort of dragging them in, into games, you know, keeping them in games and He's got that ability. I think he signs a long term contract in the summer. You know, I don't think really there's there's very little chance that he'll move now between now and the end of the end of the window. I think he's you know, he's looking forward to the new season. I d I don't see that changing. Um, Andros Townsend, I mean he's he's been linked away before, you know. I mean in January he was, there was talk there was talk of Newcastle coming back in from, you know, and then there's been of Newcastle again in the summer. I I think he's he seems fairly settled as well in South London now. You know he's, he's been playing every game in pre-season. I think he's part of Frank de Boer's plan, so I'd be surprised if, if something happened there. Um, yeah, the, the one that I suppose Palace fans are very aware of and they're hoping won't happen is Johan Gabay. I mean, he's been linked with the return to France and the likes of Marseille have been sort of talked about and you can perhaps see that. Um, he's you know, he, he, he certainly. The second half of last season, he did really turn up in games, and you know, he, he grabbed them by the scruff of the neck, and he was a, a main, you know, a key player for them in that second half. That they, they survived. I think players' fans would would be very upset to see him go, but also he's you know coming for the last year of his contract. So there's, I suppose, if a bid came in from whether it's Marseille or Paris Saint Germain or somebody in, in France, you know, a, a big enough bid, then yeah, I suppose you'd have to look at it that Pace would have to consider it, but I think he, he's perhaps the only one at the moment where there's a little bit of uncertainty about it because although he has been play, you know he has played in pre season he's been had a couple of knocks and injuries, and there is that sort of little element about it in the fans' mind whether he will be there long term um but I, I i you know I still would probably be surprised if he did go I think Pace wants to keep hold of the best players and he's one of them so. Yeah, I think there's obviously always speculation. You can't never say never, I suppose, with any player. But I think, you know, Paris fans don't want to see the, these sort of players leave. And I don't think, to be honest, that certainly the club's don't. you know, Steve Paris, the chairman, has constantly said that Wilfried Zaha is not for sale. But, you know, I think everyone sort of in and around the club believe that, you know, that's the case. Um, I, yeah, I think it would be a surprise. I mean, the other one who has been, I suppose, uh, also, as a surprise link is Ben um, with Everton and Chelsea. I mean, obviously, Chelsea have got their, you know, they're another striker by the looks of it. I know they've brought in Morata, but with uh, the cost of the situation, I think it came as a bit out of the blue for some people when they were linked with uh, Ben But again, at the moment, you can't see Ben going because I haven't got a ready made replacement. You know, he's the, the currently the only senior fit striker. So I think at the moment, Palace seem to be quite set up with their squad and it's
1: unlikely that those sort of players will be leaving. Excellent. Um, there was a, a strange story, shall we say, um, recently about a possible takeover that I think Steve Parrish was very quick to close down regarding Tony Adams. Was that an entire fabrication or was there some truth to it? What's the situation there? Is is Crystal Palace up for sale? <laughs>
2: Not as far as I'm aware, no. Um, I think it, Steve <laughs> Barish was, was very quick, like you say, on uh, on social media to sort of, you know, put down those reports and sort of dismiss them as rubbish, you know, he said there was no truth in them, he fair, he, he's he quite good on social media for that, you know, if anything comes out that he doesn't agree with or he, uh, you know, he, he sees it as a complete fabrication, then he'll, he'll tell people about it, you know, he he does... I think the fans like him for that. He's very open and honest, and particularly on social media, you know, he does put out tweets about different things, and I've, I've, it's not the first time, you know, he's been in a, well, I wouldn't hate to call it a spat, but he uh, certainly he certainly got involved with Alan Shearer last year when he questioned Wilfred Zaha's uh, end products on uh, Match of the Day, and, you know, he's, he's done that sort of thing a few times, and, and this time he was very quick with the, uh, once the story had been broken, I think he, um, Within a few hours, had then gone on Twitter and said there's no truth at all. So, no, I mean, there's been a couple of sort of whispers about Chinese investors perhaps being interested, but I don't think that's the case. I, you know, I, I don't think certainly Steve Parrish isn't, you know, is not entertaining offers at the moment for for the club, and I don't think the uh, American investors are either. So, no, I, I think the club is, you know, in, in good hands and, you know, hopefully for the the fans so take it that
1: way. What's the reaction been like since the fixture list came out to town being first up? Because you'd imagine that newly promoted team, the one that's probably been written off the most compared to all the other ones by the pundits, It's something we've discussed a lot on the podcast and in the office and and in print. Just to the extent to which people seem keen to discount Huddersfield at any given turn. Is that matched in the reaction from Palace fans, or is there some sort of fear of the unknown? Uh,
2: I think it's a little bit of both. To be honest, I think you know when, when the fixture list comes out, you know obviously a lot of fans will look to well this year for, for Palace fans they were looking for the Brighton fixtures, you know with them coming up and with the renewal renewal of that rivalry. But I think when what is that
1: rivalry about, by the way? Because uh, it, they're not neighbours. Yeah, it, it's not like your sort of
2: obvious one, is it? But it's it stems from I think the 70s and you know, 70s and 80s when there was a bit of a uh, history between the two clubs and different managers and uh, yeah there was a, a, a bit of bad blood between the clubs sort of stem from there and you know it sort of continued throughout now it's, and they, they played each other quite a lot in the, the championship in, in recent seasons and I think yeah it's, it's become you know perhaps to outsiders it looks like a strange rivalry but that's the uh, that sort of how it is you know Palace fans and Brighton fans just, just don't like each other and you know they, they they always enjoy getting one over the other so that's how it's been for the last 20 30 years
1: didn't Palace beat Brighton in the playoffs was it
2: they did yeah when uh, when they came up so four, what four seasons ago now um Wilfred Zaha got both goals down at the Amex stadium and uh that was in the semi-final and then obviously they went on to beat Watford at Wembley in the final but yeah that was uh there was certainly some spice to that game and uh Obviously, there been, a, you know, with, with Brighton coming back up now, or sorry, coming up, you know, they've been in the Premier League. Um, with them coming up, certainly that's added to, uh, you know, a little bit of spice for the fans. And uh yeah.
1: sorry, I led you off on a on a tangent. You know, what um, about Huddersfield? <laughs> that's I, what are here to talk a, about. Yeah, no,
2: I mean, when when it came out, I think there was a little bit of a, a mixture of you know feelings from the fans. A, they were like, yeah, okay, it's a a home game. You know, on paper, a winnable game. Yeah, you'd like to get off to a good start. But also, like you say, it's a bit of a case of the unknown with Huddersfield because not being in the Premier League, you know, they've come up. Uh, I think it's probably fair to say people, unexpectedly, you know, people weren't, I think some people written them off last year in the championship and they they came up and got promoted. So I think...
1: Ian Holloway quite famously. Yeah,
2: well, yeah there's, a, there's a few I think, were not there? But yeah, I, I, I think that it's a little bit of, of both. You know, some fans are thinking, right, it's a home game. It is a newly side. A lot, you know, a lot of other fans are saying, "Well, you don't really want to play a newly equaliser side first up because they've got momentum. They'll come into it with you know nothing to lose." But I think, you know, Palace are, fans are a bit optimistic that they can get off to a good start. Not only with this Huddersfield game, the first sort of five or six games aren't too bad on paper for Palace. So I think fans will, yeah, they'll they'll treat it with a little bit of trepidation, but at the same time, will hope to get you know points on the board if
1: they can. How do Palace set up then under the ball? Is it uh four three three 3 is it sort of total football Ajax style or is there a tweak to that at all? Uh,
2: three four three is the way they've been going. Um it's
1: it, Okay, so wing backs.
2: Yeah, essentially yeah, they they've been playing throughout pre-season this, this new formation this new formation to them. Um you know traditionally Palace have been a lot about the the wingers and the counter attack you know I mean the likes of Zaha and Townsend and before Townsend Balassi, you know they' they've sort of flourished on the on the wings in in the recent season for Paris but this year it's certainly a change it's three four three it's the way that Frank de Ball wants to play, you know introduced it throughout the first team academy that sort of squads throughout pre season they are all playing the same way, and uh, that's that's how I expect them to line up, I and mean, obviously they'll be i think subject to change if things aren't going well but that's certainly how I expect them to line up on Saturday and uh, yeah it's, it's a case of I suppose personnel now who, who plays where because Christian Menteke will undoubtedly be the, the sort of focal point up front but Wilfred Zaha i say he's been you know known as a, a winger but he's sort of been playing almost as a, a number 10 you know almost as sort of an inside a free role um, not quite on the wing but somewhere in the centre as the three up front and um, yeah he's He's still going to be a main man for them because he's got all that trickery, you know, and he can he can turn the game, he can beat defenders. So he's certainly one one to watch and can cause problems. But yeah, I see it being three four three. They've got you know a few solid players in the midfield now, the likes of Luka Milovic, who um, came in 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 January, the Serbian midfielder. He's you know he's going to be a key man for them this season, certainly. And then with the new signings, I mean, I would expect. Uh, Zorro Riedaval to play at the back, um, possibly with Scott Dan, and maybe even um, you might see Focus Immense playing as the, as the third man at the back there, yeah. been signed today. Um, I think it will be, yeah, you'll then see wing backs, the likes of Andrews Townsend, has sort of played on, in, in one of those positions. And then you've got Jason Punch, who's the, the captain and um, been sort of made club captain this season, who'll he'll play in midfield. And uh, other than that, you, you you've got options on the bench then, because you know some people won't fit into this system three four three, and you know may have to make an impact from the bench to get themselves back into uh, divorce thoughts. But that's certainly how I expect them to line up Saturday against Oxford.
1: What's the the style of football then? Is it possession based, or is it do they sit back and try and counter attack? Is what's how is their approach being in pre season?
2: It's certainly been a lot more about possession than. Palace have perhaps been known for in the past. I think Palace has been, you know, quite well-renowned in the three or four seasons they've been in the Premier League as, you know, a team that hits, hits others on the break, you know, and, and can counter. I mean, they've still got that ability within the squad, but certainly this year in pre-season it, it's been noticeable that they're trying to keep hold of the ball and look after it a bit more. Um, you know, in, in games last year, you'd have seen them with perhaps 40 50% possession, you know, maximum this year, I'd expect that to be Palace dominating games in terms of possession. you know, and having 60%, something like that. So, that's, that's the way that Frank De Boer has obviously played at Ajax and briefly into the land. But it, it, I think it stems as well from his playing career. You know, he he's obviously been at some of the top clubs in the world, like Barcelona and, and Ajax, and he, yeah, you know, that's how he's played throughout his career. I think that's reflected reflected in his management style and how he wants his own team
1: to play that makes sense um, what are your expectations from the outside looking in for Huddersfield because obviously quite a lot of people have had their say and it's been well documented how many players we've brought in the style of football David Wagner likes to play and the increased scrutiny on the side from sort of coming through the playoffs and pushing Brighton and Newcastle all the way towards the end of last year made a few more people aware than they might have been of, of who Huddersfield are and what exactly they do. What are, sort of are your assumptions of, of how not only this game but how the season will probably go? I think
2: Huddersfield will, might surprise a few people to be honest, in the Premier League. I think they'll. Come in and play the the brand of football that they've perhaps become known for in the Championship. Well, all right, I think, like you say, it was perhaps unpredictable for for some last year and unexpected as a promotion. But I think, like you say, David Wagner's team. You know, they're, they're going to be fit. They're going to be trying to, um, you know, impose themselves on, on other teams in in the Premier League. And and I think they'll take catch a few by surprise. You know, I think people, like you say, have written them off a little bit and. Expect them to go straight back down, but actually, I think they'll they'll come up and they'll get some results along the way. I mean, whether they'll, I still think it'll be a battle, you know, to stay up. I I, I don't see Huddersfield coming up and being, you know, so much of a surprise package there in the top half, but I do see them being bottom half and it it being, you know, potentially a struggle towards towards the end of the season. But I think they've they every chance they could stay up. You know, I mean, I don't think it's going to be quite the the foregone conclusion some people are thinking they'll go straight back down and you know they won't be anywhere near survival I I, I don't see that myself I think they'll they'll come up they'll score some goals you know they, they've got obviously the summer signings I and mean, we like like Steve Mounier and Tim Tomin you know they've got people who are capable of putting the ball in the back of the net and I think they will come and you know get a few results here and there that perhaps people aren't expecting and I mean yeah. I, I would be surprised if like I say, I'd be surprised if they're mid-table and comfortable, comfortably away from relegation. But I could see them finishing 17th, 16th, you know, if if they have a good season and and staying up, you know, which would be incredible feat for them. And obviously, first first time in the Premier League and first time in the top flight for a long time. I think if if, if David Wagner can sort of mastermind that as a survival, then. I think it'd be a very good season for
1: him. It's interesting you mentioned Tomint because he's a player that you'll obviously be aware of at Palace, one of his few stints in the Premier League with with yourselves. What's your memories of him and how do you expect him to fare in, in sort of having had a few more seasons, grown a bit more, become a bit more mature at Derby, and now a second crack at it with a bit more to prove? How have you seen his development since his Palace days? Yeah, I
2: think he obviously. He came with a you know a good reputation as a young player, sort of coming up up and coming when he when he joined Palace, and he made the perfect start, scoring on his debut at, at Palace. But it didn't really work out for him after that. To be honest, it was a you know a little bit of a case of much was expected, but not quite. You know, didn't quite deliver at Crystal Palace in that that second half of the season when he did join. So I think you know he's gone away. He's gone to Derby. He's dropped down to the Championship again, and. Sort of proved himself there, you know, and he's, he's obviously scored a lot of goals at Derby and, and done well for them. And I think he deserves another crack at the Premier League, you know. And it's it's probably is he's one of those players that you look to and think, like, right, well, he's that little bit older now. You, you kind of expect a bit more, you know. Maybe he's ready for it now. And it wouldn't surprise me if he had a good season. It really wouldn't. I think he's he certainly got the ability. Um, we've seen that in the past, you know, whether it's glimpses at, at certain clubs or. Bit more you know consistent at the likes of Derby, but I think he could be you know a, a bit reflective of Huddersfield as a, in, in general I think he could be a bit of a surprise package for some you know people who have perhaps written him off and thought no he's a championship standard player not you know not quite up to Premier League standard well you know he could easily prove people wrong this season and, you know if he gets 10 fifteen goals and helps Huddersfield stay in the league then that's job done for him he, he's done it hasn't he
1: my last question for you, Robert, would be: What's your score prediction for the weekend?
2: Um, I I think it's going to be close. I, I don't think it's going to be a you know three or four hill or anything to either side. But I think there'll be goals in it. Um, I'm going to go two one to Crystal Palace. I think um, they'll just edge it. I think Huddersfield will score, it, um, but I think Palace will just about have enough on the day and. Uh,
1: I'll go 2 1. Excellent. Thanks very much for your time, mate. We'll speak to you later on in the season when you guys get the honour of coming up to the John Smith. Excellent. I
2: think it's in March, isn't it? Sometimes. Sounds about right. See you. To
1: you then. <laughs> Thanks to Robert for, for coming on. I hope that's shed a little bit of light on what's to come from Crystal Palace and what we can expect from them. If we concentrate on the second half of the press conference now, which was Tommy Smith, really impressive, I thought. Cut the figure of a leader, spoke really well on behalf of the players and the club, was. Was very respectful of Huddersfield Town as an institution, and seemed genuinely humbled and proud to be in the position he's in.
0: Yeah, he's always always really good to talk to. Is Tommy Smith? He, I think, what he spoke about was was sort of being let go from Man City and what that that did for him, and and what Huddersfield Town meant for him by picking him up and and sort of, you know, taking him from being a boy to a man, and and then David Wagner again stepping in and and sort of revitalising and rejuvenating his career. He's he was the best fullback in the league last season, without a shadow of a doubt for me, in the championship that is. Um and he was he's grown as a leader after being handed the armband. And he's one of those players on the pitch who will lead by example. Uh he's not afraid to scream at people even if they're, you know, if he he'll shout at anyone, Christopher Schindler, Michael Effler, he will shout at anyone and that's what you want in your leader. Um, and also he's seeing him in Austria as well. He's a leader on the training ground and he, as much as they have a joke and that kind of stuff, he doesn't take any, any yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, he's just one of those players who fits the role perfectly and, and I think his experiences to get him to this position will only make him stronger as a captain as he progresses even more.
1: There were some interesting things he had to, to say for himself. Wagner touched on it when he was speaking that he found a player that didn't have enough confidence in himself and I grabbed a couple of minutes with him after everything had wrapped up and we we just spoke one to one and I put that to him and, and said do you agree and he, he did he said that what Wagner did with him was essentially give him the belief to become a better player he said to him that you have all the qualities to be what you want to be and be the player you want to be and that sort of gave him the boost inside to have the sort of season he did which I think is one of the brightest endorsements I've seen of David Wagner's man management, it's something obviously we were aware of given how obvious it is that players go out there specifically to play for him but we've never heard somebody say it so explicitly before
0: Yeah it's, it, again as you say, it's it's another sort of side of David Wagner that we maybe don't see um, some from sort of behind our desks and that kind of thing, you know a lot's been made of his sort of tactical awareness and how he he binds teams together and that kind of thing but i think what what we're seeing more and more is just that there is no flaw in david wagner's management style um, i think maybe last season early on when when games started turning you could say oh well he, he's sticking sort of you know michael heffler up front and mark hudson that would be the flaw but that's because there was no one to fill those positions we've now got lauren de Potra who who does that and steve mooney can do that as well so i think what that that little snippet, that insight into what David David Wagner brings to the club is just you know, it, it makes him even more rounded as a manager if that if that could happen. And it just shows as a head coach what, what he means not only to the club but to the individual players as well.
1: I think that's fair. Um one of the other things he talked about at length was Mark Hudson's retirement and moving to the coaching staff, which, you know, has been long since sort of foreshadowed by the fact that it, this was stipulated in the last playing contract he signed. But over the summer, they've been quite tight-lipped about it, whether or not it was happening or not. We'd seen pictures of him in training kits, and we thought maybe this is just part of him getting his badges, because he played in some pre-season games as well. So he's clearly mm-hmm. keeping his eye in if he needed to. If we talk about the playing side of it first, before the coaching side of it, with Stankovic injured, Craney injured, and Hudson retired, Town might need another centre-back.
0: Yeah, I don't think that's that's a stretch to think that Town might sign another one um, I think if they do I wouldn't be surprised if it's someone on loan or you know, a, a younger player sort of in the Stankovic mould who will come and sort of grow at Town I think they've got their, their senior centre-backs in Michael Heffler uh, Christopher Schindler and Zanka um, so maybe one more or, or I, don't, I don't know maybe looking at, at the youth teams try and bring someone in that way You know, David Wagner isn't adverse to, to, to bringing in We saw Dean Whitehead
1: play really well at centre-back, so maybe that's his new role. Maybe
0: that's what he's looking at, but yeah, I I think it wouldn't be a stretch to think that would be a centre-back. Obviously, the the main one was the right-back, but it looks like that's now happened. So I think now, once the Iodom deal's done, which for intents and purposes, it looks like it will be.
1: As long as he passes that medical touchwood, because I I don't want to have to talk about a (laughs) right-back again.
0: Exactly. (laughs) But hopefully, after that, you're now looking at sort of little extra sort of frills to the squad and a little bit of depth here and there. So centre back would be one of those places. But to be honest, if if one didn't get over the line, I wouldn't be too fussed anyway. But hopefully, with, with Stankovic out, that's that's sort of the main issue. So maybe he will bring in another one. Who knows?
1: It's good to see Mark Hudson stay at the club though as a coach because it's quite clear the the influence he has in the team. He's well liked by not only the playing staff but the coaching staff the way he's conducted himself since retirement is typically classy, um, falls in line with exactly how he behaved as club captain. Do you think that he sees himself as a future manager of Huddersfield Town at all? Because there is some suspicion with the way that the club have described him that he may be being moulded in that sort of a, a manner.
0: Yeah, I mean, from from what Mark Hudson said himself, you know, he's not hidden his his appreciation for David Wagner and and the style of football that he's brought to Huddersfield Town i think for for someone in his position to get this education off David Wagner in that sort of system is very very rare and it's something that's going to benefit him massively in the future um, and he's going to bring his own thing to it as well uh, whether you can say if he's going to be a Huddersfield Town manager in the future who knows because you know David Wagner might you know they might break into Europe next season. David Wagner might be there for life, but you know <laughs> who knows. Um, but it can only be good for him. And I think one thing that really stood out for me in the press conference that that David Wagner said about Mark Hudson was how, when he first came from Germany, anything that he wanted to ask, he'd ask Mark Hudson, and he valued his his advice straight away. And Mark Hudson also did his best to sort of. Allowed David Wagner to all the time and all and all the players sort of focus to be able to do what he has done. Um, David Wagner said that he was grateful of both Mark Hudson and Dean Whitehead to just accept this new random regi- uh, training regime which they hadn't had before and that kind of thing. And that brought all the other players on, um, thanks to thanks to those two. And I think that for me makes Mark Hudson stand out as. Not only someone who's going to be a good coach because he understands that, but also just someone who's willing to put that extra bit in for someone that he didn't even know. And you know, it's just it just shows what a, a classy individual, as you said before, he is.
1: It's not just Wagner that he's learning off though. We've been impressed by what we've seen Christoph Bueller do, Hughes, Iger, the entire backroom staff at Huddersfield are all excellent at what they do, and they're all reasons as to why the club are. Where they are, the team are as good as they are and as fit as they are. It's a, as much as we acknowledge that David Wagner is the centerpiece of that. He's the main reason they're there. His support cast couldn't be any better.
0: Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd add to that. You know, when when David Wagner he won two Manager of the Month awards yesterday. The second one, he he made a point of having not only him but also Andrew Hughes and Christoph Buhler in the photo as well because you know he, he said this is a team effort. I couldn't do it without these two. And I think also in that backroom staff, he has such an interesting mix of Germans and English sort of people with German and English footballing backgrounds that you have this kind of blend of that sort of Yorkshire grit and the, the understanding of English football and the way sort of, you know, English centre backs work and it's about passion and, and putting in tackles. And then you have, that technical aspect of the German side coming into it so it's it's a it's a mix which obviously has worked and it's a balance which they found which you know hopefully will be a winning balance in the Premier League too.
1: We've seen a, an increase in worldwide coverage of Huddersfield the Guardian have done a couple of really nice pieces there's one in the New York Times which I feel slightly bad in bringing up given that Rory Smith Phoned me to get some quotes and some insight on it, so that is some inside baseball. But the fact that institutions like the Guardian and the New York Times are writing about Huddersfield is one of the benefits of being a Premier League club. And the fact that they're doing so in glowing terms, and not just not just writing us off and printing us the fish twentieth yeah. as others have done. They've given the time to come to the town, visit us, ask the relevant questions, and and see how. The place is looking up not only as a football team, but as a town and as a settlement and as a collective.
0: Yeah, as you say, it's it's not all about the football club, and and as Dean Hall said last last year, he, he sees the football club as the best vehicle to promote the town, and with town being promoted, that can now happen more so than ever. So yeah, as he said, having that sort of calibre of person here to write about Huddersfield and Huddersfield Town Football Club is is. Uh, you know it's it's only beneficial for both of them um talking about people writing <laughs> about Huddersfield Town um someone wrote a book or is writing a book
1: <laughs> yeah Who's that's that? that's that's me uh, it sounds <laughs> as if I paid you to bring that up I haven't um but yeah you I, I've got a, the beers <laughs> you were splitting <laughs> the beers um yeah I've, I've written a book it's called Underdog it's about last season um, spoke to the club. Club were fantastic with access and you know, they let me speak to whoever I wanted to, ask whatever I wanted to do and it's hopefully it helps teach people who hadn't heard of Huddersfield Town before about this achievement and about this town. Even though I'm not, you know, technically a fan of the club, I wouldn't have the cheek to, to say I was because I've always supported Tottenham. This is my hometown and I do have an awful lot of pride in in what we've achieved in the wider context of it and as a season ticket holder I've obviously followed it for a number of years so I've seen it through since you know Robbins and Powell and the like it's it's not always been the most fantastic ticket in town to have but um, here we are now so hopefully you know the book will be able to to pay tribute to that achievement and and shed light you know if somebody's been to watch Huddersfield and seen every kick for 10 years home and away I still hope there's things for them to take out the book and and learn um, that they wouldn't have otherwise. And, you know, if you have a look on Twitter or the Examiner's done a story on it and stuff, search Underdog and Huddersfield Town and Book and you'll come across it. It's been published by Great Northern. You can pre-order it now. That's the last time we'll mention it. When's the
0: signing session?
1: (laughs) Rory's looking at me as if, you know, you you look like an absolute moron promoting your own book. But... (laughs) i'm only bringing it up because it's relevant and we're proud of it and we're proud of you know how the the team are doing and how the town is doing and you know the fact that somebody has allowed me to write a book about it is another signal of that so if you're at all interested um you know get involved and and feel free to get yourself a copy and I'm, i'm very appreciative if you do if we move on very swiftly to crystal palace this weekend um Frank the balls come in, they're not being taken over by Tony Adams. Um, we don't know where that story came from because apparently it's a non-starter. Uh, they've got fantastic players, Andres Townsend, Wilfred Zaha, Christian Benteke, Johan Kabay can go on. They've bought a new yeah. centre-back from... Kabay's injured though. Kabay's injured, so he's not going to be playing, but he's still there. Yeah. Um, what do you make of policy? Are you worried at all or do you think this is a good enough start? Um, I don't
0: think you could ask for a better start, to be honest. Um, unless
1: it was at home.
0: Unless it was at home, yeah. But I think as well, just an away day in London, you can't get better than that as a fan. Like looking from a fan's perspective, but no, Crystal Palace will be—they'll be tougher than they were at the start of last season. Obviously, when when Sam Allardyce came in, he was—you know—that's that's a tough prospect for any Sam Allardyce team to be. They had so, Pardew
1: in charge first, didn't they? And yeah. Didn't... If this um, was Pardew's Palace, then maybe it would have been better off because uh, they weren't very good.
0: <laughs> no, <laughs> well, that's Alan Pardew for isn't it? But yeah. anyway, uh, no, I, I think I think it's going to be it's a hard one to call because you know has Frank de Boer been able to get his his thoughts across? Who knows? You know, they're probably playing a
1: three-four-three three these days, so it's a completely different system to what Sam Allardyce would have
0: had. Yeah, and uh, they've got the players to play that system, as he said, Zaha, Benteke, and Townsend. You know, that's that's a. A tough start for the defenders, <laughs> but I think Town have enough to 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 cause them problems. I'd like to see if if the system will work for Frank de Boer straight away, because it's not been that. I think he's only been in the job six weeks, so obviously I think they they brought in those sleeping pods as well, so they could <laughs> do double sessions uh, to make sure that they knew it. Um, but no, I think it'll be two teams that'll be very very well drilled, two teams that'll be very fit as well. Um, and I think it should be an exciting game. I, I can see goals in it. It um, sounds like
1: it would be quite open, given both teams' formations and the mentality yeah, of the manager. exactly.
0: So, you know, I've got my bet on. I've got I've got 2-2 <laughs> I've got, I've got two, two, uh, and Steve Mounier to score first. So, you know, that, that's how I see the game panning out. What about
1: you? I would... Given how he performed when he went to Inter Milan, given a similarly short amount of time, it was a lot more aggressive into Milan given that Mancini essentially walked out days before mm-hmm. the season started he does like to play a quite complicated and specific brand of football that may take a little bit of time to bed in um you know, good things come to those who wait and I think in time Crystal Palace will play a better brand of football and be far more attractive to watch than they have been in recent history which isn't hard to do yeah. given they've had Allardyce and Pardew back to back and was it uh, Pulis before that as well? So, you know, 20p, yeah. it's not the greatest lineup of you know attacking managers you've ever heard in your life but they've done their jobs and kept them up. However, first weekend of the season pressure on them, bit of an unknown quantity in Huddersfield and the fact that Huddersfield are far more solid in who we are, what we are and what we do. There's far more continuity and there's a bit more energy behind what we're doing. There's you know, um, there's added excitement of it being the first game. I think they could, if they start well enough, sneak it. I think it's dependent on Huddersfield scoring first. Mm-hmm. I think if Crystal Palace score first, then it could be a draw. Um, I don't think Town are going to lose this one, just given how... How encouraged I've been by their performances in pre-season and their attitude, especially. They seem really, um, really hungry to prove themselves and prove other people wrong, which I really like. Um, so if, this, if they score first, I think they might win it by two or three. Because I won't be surprised to see Palace fold, given they may not be entirely sure of themselves. But we will have to see.
0: Yeah no it's 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 going to be a really good occasion anyway isn't it you know David Wagner spoke about the 3000 travelling fans today and you know those town fans last season were exceptional and we expect them to be again this time and Sellers Park is one of those places in the Premier League which still has a bit of a soul and and is one of those grounds where the fans really get behind the team and it's just going to be it's going to be loud it's going to be just crazy in there so it's it's one that the fans and us as journalists are really looking forward to going to
1: it's important though either way not to make too much of just one performance and one result if Town go there and win 3-0 for example that doesn't mean they're going to win the league and if they go there and lose 3-0 that doesn't mean you know Merson was right and we're going straight back down
0: what I would say is that Town last year you know they went on these runs they went on a, a massive run at the start of the season then went on a terrible run then went on a really good run then a terrible run again so it's it's going to be a season of ups and downs and you know hopefully town can win more than they can lose which would be exceptional but I think everyone right now if if you asked 100 people in Huddersfield 40 points would you take it I think a vast vast majority of them would say yes
1: yeah I think they might finish with one or two more but that's just me I think that's what's done for the week I don't think there's anything else we've got to catch up on we'll speak on Monday on the flip side of the Palace game yeah. town will you know, have made their Premier League bow by them, which, Top of the league by them. Yeah, which will be, you know, strange, but we'll have finally got to see them, you know, be a Premier League club. I mean, we've talked about it for long enough, but it's time for them to actually do it, which um, is more exciting than anything else. Remember the the beer 52 offer, Rory's going home already and using Huddersfield as his <laughs> offer code. Um, we're on social, Twitter, otbapod. um You can... Subscribe on Audioboom and iTunes, I almost forgot. That wouldn't be very good. And all the episodes are on the Examiner website as well, if you want to catch up on there. But I'll speak to you on Monday, Rory. Yep, speak to you then. Ben jij prijsbewust? Nu extra MB's bij de Huawei P Smart. Voor 14,50 per maand, 100 minuten of sms'jes en 1500 MB internet tijdens de Ben Prijsbewust Weken. Kijk op ben.nl
2: Let op. Geld lenen kost geld.